You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by ZeroMo, a non-profit initiative helping transition to battery-powered lawn and gardening equipment and electric vehicles using 100% renewable energy. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Driven Podcast. This will be our last podcast of the year, of 2018, and we'll be back in early 2019, but I just thought it would be a terrific time to get one of the key players in the Australian electric vehicle industry to give his perspective of what's happened and what we've achieved in 2018 and what we can expect to see in 2019. So... I'd like to welcome uh, welcome Bayard Jafari, the Chief Executive of the Electric Vehicle Council of Australia. Bayard, thanks for joining the uh, Driven Podcast. Thanks for for having me on, Giles. Great to be here for your last podcast. Well, yeah, no, and and it's great to have you here too. Look, 2018, I, I guess it's fair to say that really not much has changed as far as purchases of EV vehicles go, but we seem to have put some key building blocks in, or at least thought about putting them in. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, look, I think what I'd say is 2018's the year where we've been doing a lot of talking about how great the electric vehicle industry and market can be in Australia, and we've really started to prove it. When we look at some of the key pillars that we need to help our market take off here, whether that's providing charging infrastructure, connecting highways right across the eastern seaboard and in Perth, whether that's building vehicles such as SEA Electrics, uh, heavy vehicle truck, uh, garbage truck, expanding their facilities out in Melbourne, whether that's Tritium being recognised as a not only global player, but Queensland and Australia's exporter of the year, winning multiple prizes, our philanthropy sector through Trevinson Baker funding a scholarship for e-mobility in the University of Queensland. Every area that we look at, everything that we thought would be too hard for Australia to achieve or that we'd be much further behind, we're starting to knock over. And I think most excitingly of all is more and more vehicles coming into our marketplace. We've seen just this year the Renault Zoe, the Hyundai Ioniq, the Nissan Leaf being brought to our market with a lot more expected to come next year. Yeah, well, look, let's touch on um, some or all of those um, components that you just mentioned. Now, look, firstly, on the sales, do we have, I mean, look, it's very actually, it's actually really, really hard to get data for Australian electric vehicle sales. Um, you just need to jump on the website and you can find the New Zealand um, data, which is updated by the government every month. Um, why is it so hard to get it in Australia? And um, what do we think the number will be for 2018? I think this is the really critical point that what we say to governments is it's important for you to have a plan. I think to paraphrase Bill Shorten, the most important thing about an electric vehicle plan is to have a plan. And so you want inside of that plan to have a strategy, a target for where we want electric vehicles to go. We in the Electric Vehicle Council have said that a government should match a renewable energy target with an electric vehicle one, so reaching at least 50% electric vehicle sales by 2030. And when you have things like that, it makes a lot of sense for a government to say, well, let's also record how we're doing so that we're able to see, are we meeting our milestones? Do we need to do more? Are we on track? Can we, you know, release the lever a little bit here? Uh, But unfortunately, we're not seeing any of that. When it comes to recording how many electric vehicle sales we we reach in Australia, it's really the Electric Vehicle Council the ones who do that. It takes a lot of time. It costs a bit of money. And of course, we like to spend our money trying to get as many electric vehicles out there as we can. There's only so much of it to go around. Uh, So it is much harder. It does take us a lot longer. We tend to report on electric vehicle sales annually, whereas, as you mentioned, countries like UK, New Zealand, US, they get pretty live, at least monthly, 
data for people to be able to digest. Mm. Anecdotally, I guess, um, we probably think that overall the sales in Australia will be about static with last year because really there has been limited models available, um, probably just the Teslas, S and X, um, some Renault Zoe's, as you imagine, um, mentioned, but I don't think the, the sales have been huge. But I think what we're starting to see at the end of this year is the sales pick up, picking up, and particularly you've had the release of the Jaguar I-Pace, but more particularly the Hyundai Ionic. And um, I was actually just looking at a, um, a new uh, Hyundai Ionic uh, supporters page on Facebook and um, a lot of excitement going out there, people going out and getting their first um, models in Victoria and Brisbane and um, WA and um, there's even talk that maybe the first um, the first shipment of 400 has already been um, has already been sold out even before they've arrived. We haven't actually been able to sort of confirm that with Hyundai itself, but um, um, certainly um, a lot of people expressing a lot of enthusiasm. What's interesting about that um, I notice is the number of people who already have Nissan Leafs and other cars actually sort of you know um, trading them in and um, and moving up with the with the newest model. So um, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it's fantastic to see the audience of people purchasing electric vehicles not only being excited themselves but being in those things things like facebook groups to be able to share information amongst one another you know it really that educational effort helps more and more people get into electric vehicles as you mentioned we do expect to see that electric vehicle sales will have gone up incrementally in australia still well short of where we would like it to be I've given these numbers to you before, Giles, but as we know, we last year we sold 2017, we sold 2,284 electric vehicles in Australia. We expect to see that go up, but still, where we want to see Australia be somewhere in the order of 25, 30,000 electric vehicle sales, just so that we're comparable with other markets. That's not us being world beaters, that's not us being leaders, that's just us being in the middle of the pack, an ordinary country when it comes to electric vehicles. How quickly do you reckon we can get to that number? I mean, um, we talk about some of the models that are coming in 2019. Um, I guess the Ionic and its various versions, plus the Kona, plus um, what have we got with the Nissan Leaf that will actually arrive. Um, you've got offerings from people like Audi, uh, VW possibly, the Tesla Model 3. Um, Kia have already mentioned them, and um, oh god, look, I've, I've, I've run out of names there. But um, how quickly well, this do you does think we... keep going? It's hard it to keep, it, it, keep, well, keep on track of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but no, but that's a good thing. And and and, and and the most exciting thing is that a lot of these will be priced in and around fifty thousand dollars. Now that's not quite where we need to get to get sort of full mass market adoption, but it's certainly it's certainly I'd say it's halfway there, isn't it? Yeah, I think with the vehicles that we already have in at the tail end of this year and the ones coming in next year, we will start to see those sales continue to pick up and rise faster and faster. Really, what the and why we spend so much time as an organisation speaking to governments is, it's really we do need to provide an industry with certainty to say, come and invest in Australia. That's whether you're building charging stations, whether you're putting manufacturing plants in heavy vehicles, or trying to bring a vehicle into our market, it's recognising that vehicle is just an investment. It just happens to look like a car or or any or a bus or anything else. And so how can we provide you with enough certainty to say you have it, it exists, you've already invented it, we'd like to see it exist for Australian drivers. And so how that can happen is by government saying, hey, we'll buy the cars, we'll help other people buy the cars, we'll help the charging infrastructure be rolled out and provide you with something that's 
you know, a little bit new for the clean energy industry here in Australia, a bit of certainty so that you know that we're on track towards what is a transition towards fully electrifying our electric vehicle fleet. Absolutely, yeah. And, and so your 50% target of for electric vehicles by 2030, sort of on the face of it, might sound like pretty ambitious. But I guess if you think about it, most vehicles get um, the average um, life of a vehicle in Australia is 12 years. So if over the next 12 years, everyone... Um, buys a new vehicle or all cars are replaced and if the survey suggests now even before the price has probably come back down to a full mass market price 50 percent of um, car owners say that they're interested in making their next purchase electric um, and if you think about the price falls that will happen Bloomberg talking about price parity that's the upfront price not just the life of the asset price um, by 2022 2023 um, I guess 50% is really probably quite achievable. Yeah, I think you've you've put your finger on it there. I think something that you and your listeners know quite well, Giles, and I'll let you onto a secret if you keep it between the two of us, is that I when promise. it comes to setting, setting these type of targets and policies uh, nationally, 50% does sound ambitious for Australia and to Australian policy decision makers and to Australian governments. But you would know that globally, that's actually a pretty mediocre, mediocre market. Other governments are setting 100% targets sooner than that. Other governments are setting 100% targets not too long after that point. So 50% sounds like a lot to a policymaker here in Australia today, but we get them to make that move because it seems somewhat doable, somewhat achievable with a, you know, a little bit of level of ambition. But we fully expect that once they make those statements, the certainty is provided into the marketplace and we see the investment that has occurred right in right around the rest of the world. So not something we're guessing here, something that's already happened in the rest of the world, happened here in Australia. Those numbers start to go up. Reaching 50% becomes a walk in the park. And we start talking about how much higher than that can we actually go. And what are we talking about with 50%? Is that 50% of new car sales or 50% of total fleet? That's right, of new car sales, but I think importantly, rising up to that point in the years before. So it's not like you go from zero in 2029 to 50 before that point. Uh, something very important, I think, for electric vehicles is recognizing they're servicing a market today. But as we get towards the early to mid 2020s, we expect to see electric vehicles start becoming cheaper than comparable internal combustion engine vehicles. And what we really want to do in between now and then is prepare our marketplace. So give people the imperative to say, I want to start investing in things like charging infrastructure. Every time a house is built, I'm going to start to put the wiring and the charges in there. We want to make sure that we have the correct types of regulation to ensure that when electric vehicles are cheaper than internal combustion engines, people are bringing them to Australia. Electric vehicles already exist at lower price points. They're just not in our marketplace. And that's the, that's the type of uh, ecosystem that we need to create so that we're able to go on that ride up to 100% electric vehicles. Mm. And it's interesting, so we make a lot of, um, um, or, or much has been made of edicts such as from France and I think the UK about banning the sales of fossil fuel vehicles, petrol, diesel cars from by 2045 or something. But um, just between, um, I would have thought that um, by then that's pretty much all but redundant because I can't imagine any new petrol and diesel cars actually being sold in the market by 2045. And if you actually listen to most of the manufacturers, uh, most of them are, are thinking of stopping that in the next five to ten years well again the manufacturers are looking at markets like the uk germany france china even india saying we're going to ban the sale of internal combustion engines and saying well why would we keep building into uh, sorry why would we keep building internal combustion engines if we're not going to be able to sell it to what is roughly now 60 percent of the global marketplace 
So no, for sure, our future is in electric and they've been able to respond to those signals. Now, we haven't been one of the countries that's been out there and made those made similar type of statements and you know, made those signals to provide them with that certainty. But we can certainly be fast followers in that. What we see from all of those marketplaces that have more ambitious you know, ICE bands, essentially, petrol and diesel bands, is that they've had about 1.1 to 1.4% market share for EVs. So what that means for them is people's neighbours have an electric vehicle. You know, this is exactly what happened with the rooftop solar panel market. Once your neighbor has one, you're able to have a conversation about one around the dinner table, around the barbecue. It becomes much more relatable and people can understand, yes, this can one day be 100% of our fleet. Mm, yeah. So now you've been sort of involved sort of lobbying now at um, state and federal level and talking to lots of politicians around the place. What's your sense of where they're at on electric vehicles? And I, I know you've got to be cautious because, you know, you are representing a peak body. and You don't want to tread in anyone's toes. But give us a sense of what politicians are thinking here. Yeah, we don't want to be too cautious. You don't want to let people off the hook here. <laughs> well, go for it. Go for it. No, it's fine. <laughs> no, I think what we've seen is where reasonably happily i mean we'd like to be much further along obviously but for where we are we're quite happy that we have a process in place or announcements already made at every state and territory level so every state and territory government has either already announced and this is including their oppositions so you know we work with governments and opposition parties and independents and anyone else who wants to talk to us about developing what they should be doing in terms of electric vehicles um, and they've been there you know st states have acted very early some of them have acted very early queensland and the act probably two of the fastest to have arrived uh, the new south wales labor party just this weekend announced their election commitment um, for electric vehicle policy and we expect the new south wales government to make theirs in late january as well really the missing link for us has been federal policy uh, we've been working now very productively with the federal ALP and expect to have a policy up from them ahead of the election as well. Uh, that should be a meaningful and supportive policy too. We've, and I mean, we started this year, we started 2018 with a Conservative government minister, a Liberal Party minister say, electric vehicles are the best thing since sliced bread, they're the best thing since iPhones. Uh, we should do something about them. Right there in an op-ed, we saw something say, we should even financially incentivize the sale of electric vehicles. Um, Whatever happened now, to that minister? <laughs> look, I'll tell you, look, uh, you're right. I do have to be diplomatic sometimes, but I don't think I'm talking out of school if I say that the Liberal and National Parties have experienced some instability this year. I don't think that's particularly breaking news no. on my end. <laughs> and unfortunately, our issue has been one of those, you know, one of the issues that has suffered. While we've seen a lot of understanding that this is an area that a government can embrace and get meaningful returns on, so that's returns on in terms of creating environmental benefits, public health benefits, reducing people's fuel costs. But as we've really seen this year, creating investment and jobs inside of this sector because people want to create businesses and create jobs in Australia in the electric vehicle market. Um, unfortunately, that the most critical element, you know, a overarching national policy has yet to materialise, but I'm confident that 2019, we'll tick that one off the list as well and we'll be well on our way. We've got the um, Senate inquiry. Do you expect much to come out of that one there? That's um, um, been led by the independent Senator Tim Storer. Um, it's got some Labor and some coalition people on that panel. Um, they've had to delay the release of that pending some modelling outcomes from the Parliamentary Budget Office. I'm not really too sure what that delay is about, whether that sort of, you know, because people really wanted to see crunch the numbers or, you know, because it was an excuse for a delay. Um, what do you hope to see out of that? Absolutely. What I'd say is uh, Senator Tim Storer has been someone who's been a you know, forceful advocate for the electric vehicle sector since he has been a senator. You know, those two things have gone hand in hand. Uh, the, Senate, the Senate committee that has been established on electric vehicles has 
it brought a lot of people out of the wood, you know, out of the forest, out of the woodworks, where we've heard about the full range of benefits that electric vehicles can provide from the, you know, some of the areas that I spoke about, the public health benefits. We've had doctors and public health professionals come out and speak about those issues. Um, the report itself has certainly been shaping up to, again, really clarify some of that work of where are that value chain of benefits, both to society and to our economy. Of course, economics has a societal benefit. Um, so I think that's shaping up quite well. And certainly, I, I recognize what you're asking there, Giles, and sometimes the delay is a, you know, it's a cause for concern of is this being shrugged off? What I would say is that Senator Tim Stewart and his office are very hardworking people and their reasons for delay are a, they've got more good information than they're trying to get it all in. Uh, so it is a positive delay of, I think we're going to see a better report as a result of the delays that have been caused. And what it really does is be yet another, you know, tool in the belt there to say, here's yet another example of the identification of how positive electric vehicles can be for Australia right across the board. So it's mm -hmm. not just groups like us saying so, and you could accuse us of having a vested interest. It's one of the concerns when your organisation's name is the Electric Vehicle Council, people think you might be biased. Uh, but now even the Parliament of Australia saying we've independently assessed this and yes, there are significant benefits for us to grasp. So when an organisation like me comes and says, spend some money, spend some time and effort pushing electric vehicles, moving away from petrol and diesel towards electric vehicles, it's a good thing for us to do because we actually get a good return out of it. So is that modelling been released at all or is that just all still in the pipeline? Uh, so it's modelling that they'll be including into the report. Right, okay, terrific. Now look, let's look at some of Australia's success stories. I mean, even though we've got barely an EV um, industry, there's a couple of key success stories and you sort of mentioned some of them at the start. Um, I'm thinking firstly of Tritium. Um, remarkable, really, story of a small Australian company, a startup Australian company, has grabbed a significant share of the global fast charging market, um, you know, beating some really established names, um, you know, big engineering contractors and, and some of those things. Quite a remarkable story, really, just out of Brisbane, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think you look at Tritium and you're absolutely right. They are global leaders inside of their sector, inside of the fast charging you know, manufacturing technology sector. You look at groups like SEA Electric and they are globally, you know, US, New Zealand, other countries selling their products, um, helping to, in some cases, convert diesel trucks, in some cases, create things like garbage trucks, light rigid trucks, people movers and selling them to other, other companies. Yeah. I speak to the New Zealand government quite a lot and they love SEA, they keep buying their products uh, much more than we do here in Australia. Oh God, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't, isn't that a typical story <laughs> with Australia? Yeah, Very typical, yeah. yeah. I think really just, the core just, message for us remind... there is that there, is, there are so many more of those success stories ready to go here in Australia. We've, had, we've always had this benefit of entrepreneurs, forward-thinking people, great business people creating these businesses. We, we should be putting our shoulder to their backs. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and just to remind um, for people, uh, for listeners who are not too sure who SEA is, um, a Melbourne-based company um, specialises in basically taking sort of chassis or what's known as sliders from sort of established brand names like Isuzu, sort of trucks from small trucks to bigger trucks, and basically putting an electric drivetrain in there with with batteries, and um, really quite remarkable. Um, talks about three, four, five-year payback on investments, generated a lot of interest from some of the um, some of the big transport and logistics companies, you know, the Woolworths of the world and other people. Um, so really quite a promising, um, really quite a pro promising um, company and, and doing fantastic business and re recently got some support from the Victorian government and creating some jobs in the, in the Latrobe Valley. Um, Bayard, it's, um, 
Tell us a bit more about what we could do or where we could head in public transport because I hear a lot about sort of electric buses and hydrogen buses and trucks and things like that coming out from Europe and the US and, um, and Asia. What do you expect to see or what could we see or what should we see in Australia over the next few years as, you know, for public transport and, 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 and big logistics? So I think what we know today based on looking at global cities is that electrifying the bus fleet is something that is already economically feasible if you know how to do it. So I think the, the, and the if you know how to do it is where the secret lies here. There is a, you're not replacing a vehicle with another vehicle, you're replacing a vehicle with a new technology of vehicle. So you need to think about what that change means and how to receive the benefits of that change. And then if you do that, you're already in the money. So local councils, state governments can save money by trans, transitioning to electric vehicles as well as creating all the other societal benefits that can bring. So I think that's something that we'll actually see occur very quickly. I think whereas we talk about getting to 50% and 100% in the you know, private vehicle fleet with you know the cars and vans and the rest, etc. With buses, we'll see that move to 100% electric in the next few years. You know, it's a really government contractors and tenders are the slowest part of this. Um, so there's a lot of excitement there. And then certainly as we start to look at what does broader mass transit inside a public transport look like. You know, this, this concept of trackless trams will increasingly take over. Uh, I think people continually try to build light rail or tram systems, recognize there's a lot of difficulty there, whereas a trackless tram system, which is essentially a, a very big electric bus, for, for lack of a mm. better way to describe it, uh, is a, you know, that's a technology that is um, gaining traction, gaining interest because of the flexibility and the cost reductions that it can provide. Well, if so you I think, think of the disruptions, in, yeah. If you think of the disruptions in Sydney and Canberra over the last year or two, um, as they build their sort of tram tracks, um, that'll be um, a, a, a blessed relief. And look, it's interesting what you're talking about about not just simply re replacing one bus or one truck with another. Um, it's um, it's a different technology that actually requires a bit of preparation and thinking about, doesn't it? Because you're sort of kind of operating them in a different way. The way that you actually purchase them is probably different because you're talking about higher capex, but maybe much lower opex. So you do have to sort of, it's a bit of a change of culture, isn't it? And as well as technology. Yeah, we do a lot of this work in speaking to both governments and also corporates, so corporates outside of the electric vehicle sector in recognising when they want to integrate electric vehicles into their fleet. You do have to recognise it is a new technology. It's a different, you know, it's like getting a flat screen TV compared to an old one or a rotary phone to an iPhone. It's better. It's going to save you money in certain areas. But you do need to think about what does integration mean? Are you building the correct type of infrastructure at the correct type of prices? Uh, and as you mentioned there, there is a difference between transitioning your fleet, how much that's going to cost you up front versus how much you'll save over the long term. And also, how do you use your fleet today? How long are you holding onto the vehicles? There's less wear and tear on electric vehicle. Do you hold onto it for a longer amount of time? And you're worrying less about things like depreciation because you have the car for a longer period of time. That's okay as well. Uh, so these are all questions that you have to analyze your fleet differently, recognizing these differences. Unfortunately, I think far too often the spreadsheets and the tools used to purchase vehicles have been the same for a very long time because internal combustion engines don't change all that much. You know, they change um, cosmetically, but not really too much in terms of the tech. Uh, whereas we're able to now provide more and more of this work. We're engaging in a piece of work uh, at the moment actually to be launched next year called Charge Together Fleets where we're providing along with some partners groups like EV Energy um, some free tools and resources so that companies can companies and governments can sign up and see actually how do I analyze my fleet 
appropriately so that I can set a more ambitious target for myself and do something that I want to do, which is to integrate electric vehicles and zero emission vehicles into that fleet. It's interesting what you're there about the spreadsheets. Um, I, th- I think probably you know, old spreadsheets have probably been a big impediment to sort of you know technology change and um, uh, at, at all sorts of different levels um, across the history of business actually. But um, anyway, um, let's just touch briefly on automation and things like that. How quickly do you think that's because that seems to be something that's coming hand in hand with a transition to electric vehicles, probably a bit more delayed, but. I guess it's an interesting question because people are going out buying electric vehicles now, they're probably more expensive than what they spent beforehand and they must be wondering, well in five or ten years time will I still be driving this vehicle because um, everything might be automated um, and vehicles in 10, 20, 15 years time might be looking completely different from what they do now. If not in semi-rural and country areas where I live but certainly um, I would have thought in, in, in some of the big cities. Yeah, I think where you say hand in hand, it's important to recognise that, in fact, one thing leads to another. So e-mobility, electric vehicles are ready today. And when we move towards electric vehicles, and that includes everything we need to do to prepare ourselves, prepare our transport system for electric vehicles, that then allows us to do more things like shared mobility, because a vehicle costs a lot to buy, but if it costs very little to run, it makes a lot more sense for one person centrally to buy the vehicles and let a lot more people use it. The economics stack up further. And then moving on from that of moving then towards autonomous vehicles. We certainly know, as we described earlier, we have markets saying we're for sure only going to build electric vehicles because some of the largest markets in the world are only going to buy electric vehicles off of us. So while we're designing the programs, you know, the software around driverless vehicles, why would we put them into a petrol or a diesel engine? That makes no sense for us. We don't put our latest technology inside of the oldest technology. It's like trying to rewire a horse to go autonomously. That just makes absolutely no sense. So we do know we need to get one thing right first. And unfortunately, it's very hard to go to, not unfortunately, it's very hard to go to industry and say, we promise to be good next time. Bring your autonomous vehicles here, but we're not doing anything about electric. They're watching us now and saying, well, how well, how well are you doing in the adoption of new technologies? And that's how we'll judge when we'll bring the latest thing to you, which is driverless vehicles. Mm, mm. And how quickly can that transition actually happen? And before you answer that, I might just sort of point out that some horses are sort of wired autonomously. I went to a few riding schools and <laughs> went to things. And, and certainly on the trip home, there's actually nothing you could do to stop them sort of going straight back towards the barn. But um, anyway, um, how well, quickly... I agree tra- with you. The, the last time I was on one, I think I was in you know year two of primary school and very scared on a pony. So uh, <laughs> that, that horse had a mind of its own as well. But uh, look, I think we're, once we start to get towards the growth of new technologies, we're certainly starting to crystal ball gaze a little bit. There's a long number, you know, long list of projections anywhere from three to five years away to 10 to 15 years away, depending, of course, on what you're talking about, whether you're talking about increasingly autonomous vehicles or what I what some people call level five autonomous vehicles, what I like to call Hollywood driverless vehicles of the you know, no steering wheel zipping you around, everyone's autonomous. Um, but again, I think something that's very important for Australia to recognize right now is while this technology is being developed, we need to look at what is already market ready. Where should our market, what should our market look like today that is not what it looks like. You know, we should be at somewhere around, if we were absolute leaders, something like you know, 25, 50% electric vehicle uptake. Now we're at 0.2%. If we we're just an average country, we'd be at two to 5% electric vehicle uptake. We're at 0.2% electric vehicle uptake. So it's 
while the growth of new technologies is going to be an exciting area for us to dive into eventually, um, we're just not there yet. That's right, yeah. So give us some, um, let's finish off with some predictions then for 2019. Are we going to see doubling in the uptake of electric vehicles, do you think? Um, um, any, other, any other predictions and forecasts? Might we have a policy? Yeah, I think, well, what I hope to say that we'll see in 2019, uh, and I hope I'm not back here at 2019 disappointed, saying we're only 12 more months away. Uh, what I hope to say that we can see in 2019, uh, of course, you know, the speed of some of these things do depend on elections somewhat as well. Um, but hopefully we'll see every jurisdiction in Australia, so every state, territory and the federal government have released a policy, hopefully increasingly aligning those policies to work together. We did see just uh, earlier this year, largely led by the Queensland and ACT governments, um, calling on the Transport and Infrastructure Council, which is like the COAG for Transport and Infrastructure Ministers to say, let's all work together on this thing. Let's stop doing it you know, a little bit on our own, some of us not at all, and have a nationally coordinated plan to support the uptake of electric vehicles. And I think we'll hopefully not only see a doubling, but a tripling or a quadrupling from that point because of the benefit and the certainty that I'll provide. Now, some of that depends on when in the year some of those policies are released. Of course, if they're released in the middle of the year, there's always a lag time of how quickly people can respond. Um, but the sooner, the better. And I think from the point where we do see a clear, meaningful national policy on electric vehicles, we'll see a seismic shift, a step change in terms of how our market responds as a result of that. Well, that's something to look forward to very much. Um, Bayer Jafari from the Electric Vehicle Council, thank you very much for joining the uh, Driven Podcast today. Thanks a lot for having me on and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and to everyone out there listening to this podcast. Um, thanks also to our sponsor, Zero Mo. Um, we really appreciate your support because without your support, we couldn't deliver this podcast. We're going to take a Christmas and New Year break. So we'll be back at the end of January and hopefully very excited about the 2019 year. All the new models arriving, all the new policies that will be developed at state and federal level and... Um, the start of a very exciting transition. Thanks for listening and bye for now. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by Zero Mo, the non-profit initiative that supports battery electric alternatives for lawn and gardening maintenance. Zero Mo helps transition to cleaner and quieter garden power tools and electric vehicles powered by 100% renewable energy. Visit zeromo.com.au and find out how you can make the switch to zero emission, petrol-free lawn and garden maintenance.